If you have your Bibles this morning, and if you haven't found Micah yet, just sit there, act like you have it, and you'll be fine. And no one will even know other than you and the Lord. But Micah is interesting. The minor prophet helps us understand a little bit more of the Lord Jesus Christ and gives us the understanding of Bethlehem. Now, let me do, I'll just be real transparent with you. When it comes to uh, the sermons, I'm always looking for an interesting title. And so I was thinking on the subject, and I was driving to church here. What's so wonderful uh, about coming to church these days is that I'm on break now from school. So all I have now is the church things to take care of. Uh, there are a lot of them, but they have school and those things. It seems, time, it seems like I'm, I'm not even available to many and so on. But uh, as I was coming, I was thinking about the words Bethlehem bread and how uh, turning to the passage and helping me understand it in my devotions gave me the idea that, of course, it means and deals with uh, the name for Bethlehem, dealing with place of bread or place of food or whatever, gave me the idea of Bethlehem bread. And so I don't really know too much about Bethlehem bread. There, there, there is, I guess, I Googled it, and I saw that they had a loaf of Bethlehem bread. How many have ever eaten Bethlehem bread? Um, for the Christian, uh, you have if you've received Christ as your Savior. But we'll get to that in a moment. But when it comes to Bethlehem bread, wouldn't it be an interesting uh, tradition for us to make a loaf of it uh, for Christmas Day and to have, along with everything else, the Bethlehem bread, along with lefsa and ham and all the other stuff. But if we look at the particular verse we're talking about, verse number two, it actually uses the word Bethlehem. Now, the legitimacy of the Lord Jesus Christ being born in Bethlehem and this account really is supported by both internal and external evidence. And there are both of them. Internal evidence really comes from the biblical harmony found in Micah chapter 5, verse number 2, where it talks about the Lord Jesus Christ being born in Bethlehem. But then if we were to turn to Matthew chapter 2, verse number 6, it says, But thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah art not at least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. And so the external evidence uh, is also as powerful as the internal evidence. I love how the Bible is in harmony with itself. There's no book written like the Bible. Um, maybe you don't really love your Bible. You ought to, and you ought to be in it and studying it and reading it and let God speak to you uh, through it. Maybe you're real partial uh, to your Bible. Uh, I always have been, um, and I've talked about my Bibles many times. Uh, they're, they're very special to me. Um, remember the first one I bought, I was 17, just getting ready to go to Hiles Anderson College years ago. And uh, I took my money that I bought, and I brought a brown one just like this one. It was a brown, uh, wide-margin Bible, so I could write in the margins a little bit. That's in my office. I wore that one out. Then I bought another one and wore that one out. Uh, I bought another one when I was in Bible college and wore that one out. Then when I became pastor, I think I was here 10 years, I had another one. And I pretty much wore that one out, and I gave it to someone to take home to read. Never brought it back, and I don't know where it's at today. Uh, 
And so, but I have this one now that I've had, same, same Bible, it's the wide margin Cambridge Bible, uh, and I just love it. I know exactly where to turn to certain passages, and I know where that's at, and I can actually turn to it. Many of you have your Bible that you love, and you're able to read it and understand that there are enough evidence if we were to read the Bible It is a commentary of itself, and we can weave things together and see how that this could not have been put together by man. This is really God-inspired all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And so we take it as, by faith, the Word of God, especially here in the Old Testament, and seeing that there is... Uh, internal evidence that this Bethlehem is talking about the Bethlehem. We know that Jesus Christ was born there. But it doesn't end there. There is external evidence written by historians concerning Bethlehem through the years. There's also other literary evidence from early church corroborating the gospel accounts. About 150 A.D., Justin Martyr, who was an early church apologetic person, wrote, in his dialogue with Trypho about Bethlehem of Judea being the birthplace of Jesus Christ. And so it was accepted by him. Another was by the man of origin, uh, another church father, uh, written around 248 A.D. in his apology to a man by the name of Celsus. He writes of a cave in Bethlehem of Judea. In the early Christians, widely accepted that this particular place was the birthplace of Jesus Christ. And I couldn't help but direct our focus upon Bethlehem this morning as we're looking for this whole month. This is a month to unveil uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it always is important to unveil Him, but especially in the month of December as we're looking forward to the 25th, to where the world shuts down. And uh, this year being a special year because many of us have been home and probably will be home during that time. I'll be home for Christmas, literally, because of COVID and uh, maybe because of other things. You're home. And, uh, you know, this COVID thing, I think, is getting out of hand somewhat because now they're actually talking about the school children randomly being taken out of the classroom and then tested for COVID and then placed back. Can you imagine what this is doing to this generation? I don't think any child should be taken out of the classroom without the permission of their parents. Because the government doesn't run our children. Never should And maybe we've been a little bit lenient in that area through the years. And maybe we should start taking a stand because who knows what's next. And I remember 1972. uh, I remember that because it was me and you in 72. That's what was on the buses. And then it was you and I in, in, uh, how does that win? Me and you in 72 and you and me in 73. I remember those sayings on the back of buses. And so I remember the year that I went to school, I'd do my paper out in the morning and I'd go to class and I'm sitting in class, you know, and then over the loudspeakers, all the things that they're saying and sitting in a public school and all of a sudden, I'm I'm your counselor, you got to come with me and we're going to have a little meeting. I mean, they had counselors back then and they'd walk in, they'd sit me down. I was like, what's this all about? And they'd say, you feel safe at home, you know, no, I really feel scared at home because i got to make my bed, you know. I mean, what are we supposed to say? You know, and they began to, to kind of dabble in all that in the 70s, and you know what I'm talking about. When is it all going to end, right? 
I don't know, but I wasn't going to talk about this. I was going to talk about the scriptures. And here I go. So really, when we're talking about Bethlehem and the place of the Lord Jesus, and I really believe that God wanted me to direct uh, our focus on Bethlehem this morning, the location of this event brings us to the open fields surrounding Bethlehem. This is where we can remember Ruth, and she began her endeavor to glean the fields of Boaz. We know in Ruth chapter 2, verse number 4, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless thee. These were also the fields that were occupied by a little shepherd boy named David who took care of his father's sheep in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse number 1. And Jehovah said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from being the king over Israel? Fill thy horn with oil and go, and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided me a king uh, among his sons. And I thought it was interesting as we think about Bethlehem, because it is significant when it comes to Old Testament understanding and the Lord Jesus Christ using that little, small town. In fact, I have written down in my Bible concerning Bethlehem, verse number two, but thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands. And that particular word little means insignificant, perhaps in size, in population. We think that if the Lord Jesus Christ would come and choose a man, it would be from a great city, uh, some place that has all the best schools and has all of the, the, the most money and so on. But Jesus Christ came to allow his son to be born in some place that may be insignificant to this world. But it was the creator of the universe that was born there. Interesting as we think about the Lord Jesus Christ and this little place called Bethlehem. It's a noun. It means house of food or house of bread. A town or village in Judea about six miles southeast of Jerusalem and famous for being the place of Christ's nativity. Jesus was born in a place that was known as the house of bread. And so it is possible that due to the grains that were grown in the area, for example, the book of Ruth records her collecting grains for herself uh, and Naomi. And maybe that's why it was called the house of bread, because of the fields where they would glean them and be able to make uh, bread, if you would, a town in the Judean highlands, someone wrote, overlooking the principal highway leading from Jerusalem down to Beersheba. It is today called Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Today, about nine kilometers or 5.5 miles southwest of the Temple Mount. And its altitude is 777, about 2,500 feet above sea level. And it's about the same elevation as Jerusalem itself. The countryside is rough and rocky, produces olives, grapes, but the lowland provides many grains and cereals. And I don't know about you, but I like bread. There's just something about homemade bread out of the oven with butter on it. My wife was able to purchase some 
grain that we can make bread with that's not so bad for you. I guess bread can be bad for you. I don't know. I don't know how that can be. But it is. I feel like singing a song now about bread. Bread is something that if you travel all over the world, they have different types of it. You know what I'm talking about. You were to go downstairs, and if they really had a fun day where they feed people afterwards, if you slip in, they'll have tortillas. Now, you have flour or you can have corn tortillas. I prefer corn. If you were to travel in other parts of the world, they have different ways that they make bread. Like when you have a gyro, isn't there some kind of special bread for a gyro? My, my wife and I were able to get some out the other night. We didn't know if it was stale, if it was still good. So we put it in the oven, put some butter in there, and oh, man, was that, was that good. Uh, I, I, I used to, when I was in Lebanon, they had a really thin bread in Beirut that you could buy from the marketplace, and it would hang from uh, in, in a, a bag, and you'd pull that uh, bag up, and you'd look at it, and there must have been maybe 10 slices in that little bag. But it wasn't like Wonder Bread. You know, it wasn't like your Sara Lee uh, slice stuff that we have. Maybe you have that kind of white bread. I don't know. Maybe you like a wheat bread. I don't know. Uh, there's different types. Sometimes they'll put Reuben sandwiches in a rye bread and different breads that they have. Not just, you have French bread, you know. But in Lebanon, they had this little small thin bread that I would take and I'd go to the market then also and buy a round disc that came from some other country, I think, anyway, but it was in little small triangles of cheese. And uh, I would go back to my cot and sit down and take those little pieces of cheese out and put it in that bread that was really thin, and I'd roll it all up. And I'm telling you, that in coffee is like manna from heaven. I'm not kidding you. It was so good. And if you were to talk to me about different types of bread, I think universally we could say that all of us have different types of bread that we like and we enjoy. And focusing upon that and understanding that Bethlehem was a place that they actually made bread and cereals. I know some of you like granola and different types and all that comes from the grains and I think about how that the Bible also says in Ruth chapter 1, verse number 22, it says, So, so Naomi returned, and, and Ruth, the Moabites, might, the Moabites, and her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. And then they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the harvest, the barley harvest. And so it gives support that this is true, that Bethlehem must have been the city of bread. What a little place, though, that the Lord Jesus Christ would be born and how humble he would come to us and the simplicity of it all. Someone sat down and wrote a song concerning Bethlehem, perhaps looking over the hillside and seeing the lights of some small community in the Middle East. Maybe they saw it with their eyes, and maybe it was just their imagination. But they wrote, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above our deep and dreamless sleep, 
the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above, while mortals sleep and angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth, and praises sing to God the King, and peace to all on earth. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given, so God imparts to human hearts the blessing of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him, still the dear Christ enters in. And the fourth verse says, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast our sins and enter in. Be born to us. I would say be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. And with that understanding, look, if you would, at verse number one. Because it is not all good. There is difficulty here in verse number one. And if you were to understand where it says, now gather thyself in troops. What does that mean? Troops are military men. And so there was this need for them to gather the troops to blow the horn, to sound out that there needs to be some kind of war that's going to happen. O daughter of troops, he hath laid siege against us, and they shall smite the judge with the king of Israel with the rod upon the cheek. And so there was this understanding that war was about to come. And so we understand that. So she is really and has been an endangered enemy, and Israel today is under siege. The Iranians today, or, or if you would, Persians, are, are now wanting to wipe out Israel again. And who knows what will happen uh, in the future for Israel. We do know that they always win, and we do know that they are invincible, but I know that there needs to be, from our administration, a protection given to Israel. But here is the problem. There is going to be those that will come up against them. She is often deprived of real good leaders. Israel, through the years, has had some great leaders, but sometimes it has been deprived of those that can actually uh, help her, especially in the Scripture, in the Bible days, and in the Old Testament, you see king after king. And it's an ex- in its existence in Israel, in the Old Testament, I think there were 20 kings in Israel and 20 leaders in Judah, one queen, Athaliah. But she is stirred up to action here. We see that in verse number one. And Bethlehem, in the context, is certainly mentioned to bring hope to Israel and is, a, is prophetically pointing to the Messiah because of the word that begins verse number two. Look at it, if you would. In the text, it talks about, now gather military men because we're going to go to war. But... Thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. So it's giving us this understanding that there is going to be good news coming in the future. 
I mean, I think there's uh, three things that I want to give you really short this morning in understanding concerning this passage, and these three things are mentioned in the passage concerning Jesus Christ. And so the first thing that I see, uh, first of all, is Jesus is mentioned as the eternal king. Because look what it says in verse number two. It says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old from everlasting. Look at the word everlasting there. That particular word means eternal. So the first thing that I see here is that it's mentioned that we have Jesus as the eternal king. The Lord Jesus Christ is eternal. He always has been and always will be. And it's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Our Lord Jesus Christ has not changed with the culture. Our Lord Jesus Christ has always been the same. He's always been compassionate. He's always been loving. He's always been caring. He is the same today and he'll be the same tomorrow. And I cannot wait till we we can see him face to face. But until then, we certainly can worship him in the way that he is worthy of being worshipped. I think it's important for us to understand Hebrews chapter 1. Verses 8 and 9 say, But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God. Now listen, when the Bible is actually speaking about the Son, it's actually speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ because there is a capital S on the word Son. And if you had your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 8 and 9, it says, But unto the Son, capital S, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. And thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above all thy fellows. And so we understand, according to the Scriptures, that Jesus Christ is the eternal God, uh, the God of glory. Who is the Lord of glory? Jesus Christ, the King of kings. It's interesting as we think about Jesus Christ in Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. And so we know, first of all, according to uh, Micah chapter 5, verse number 2, the word everlasting here is really the, the word for eternal, that he is from old, that Jesus Christ always has been. But I want to focus on one other point out of the passage. And the second thing is also Jesus is mentioned as the shepherd king. It says that in verse number 3. Look what it says in verse number 3. It says, Therefore will he give them up until the, that, that, until the time that, sh, that she which travaileth hath brought forth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide, for now shall be shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. What that's talking about is standing and actually feeding. The same word is rule, dealing as a shepherd would feed and take care of the sheep. And so we see Jesus Christ mentioned here as the shepherd king. 
Micah chapter 5, verses number 3 and 4. So he shall stand and feed, speaking as Jesus, as the good shepherd. Now, I had an interesting morning already. We had an interesting night. Uh, many of you already know that my father-in-law has a lot of sheep and goats, and he takes care of them, fattens them up, sells them. And um, uh, this morning, uh, last night, we had the opportunity. Uh, I was going to go to a, to an installation service, but I had, I had to take care of some sheep and some goats last night. And uh, my father-in-law was not feeling well, and my son was out of town, and so Tammy and I agreed to do it, and we went in, and I, I just cannot believe uh, all of the sheep and the goats. I mean, he just got rid of 75 of them. I don't know how many he has, but uh, it, it got them all sectioned off. We have the billy goats all the way to the end. Farthest, get the billy goats away from you. Uh, goats are goats, but billy goats, uh, you know what I'm talking about. And so I got pictures, though. If you want to see afterwards, I took some this morning. I saw one that needed a haircut. It said, for some reason, it had all this hair on top, and it was all curly. It looked like my son Curtis a little bit. And that Curtis and that. But I was feeding them, and some of them got a little closer than you want them to be, you know. You don't want to smell their breath. Uh, some people do, but I don't. And so, but I was feeding them and going from back and forth, and then there was a bunch of sheep that I was feeding and some goats, more goats, and there was a sick pen. The sick pen is kind of closest to the door, and the sick pen is whenever they get sick, they go into this pen, and they nurture them, and they take care of them. And my son's really good at it. With My father-in-law helps them, and so on. But we were able to help out with them. And, you know, it was interesting as I was going toward the end, and some of them are in the dark. I had to have a flashlight back. That's how early we were this morning, feeding them also and taking care of them. And I started thinking about the shepherd. I think, how wonderful. The Bible was referring to Bethlehem as being the place where David took care of Jesse's sheep. It's also the place of Boab, Boaz, but it's also the place where the shepherds were out there watching their sheep. And as I was thinking about that this morning, it was like, wow, this is like what it was like, kind of, with real sheep and real goats. And you know, it's amazing because the goats come right into your face, but the sheep are so timid. They're so timid. Sometimes you'll think, oh, it's laying down there. It must be dead, you know. And there was one there laying there last night, and she said, what's wrong with that one? And I said, I don't know. Maybe we could get it stirred up a little bit. Boy, as soon as its head came out from underneath, it was kind of hiding from us. It's like you ever play peekaboo with someone, like little kids. They think you can't see them. You know, that sheep was underneath the the place where it got fed, and then as soon as it came and saw us, it was like, ah, and then it ran out the door. You know? But I was thinking about sheep and the practical part about it all. And this morning I was thinking about something that my secretary said, Janet made reference to, something called a, a bummer lamb. A lamb that, that you the mother sheep would reject. And for various reasons, and sometimes it's because she has twins and she can't take care of two, but sometimes you would have what we would call a bummer lamb that's been rejected. And, and this morning when I was looking over the sheep, I was wondering, I, I wonder if there's any bum, bummer lambs in here. And I, I read a story, and I want to read it to you. It's by a, a woman by the last name of McCluskey. 
And she says, in this broken world, few of us escape the hurt and the pain of rejection. Whether the pain came from a dysfunctional home or schoolyard bullying or unrequited love, by the time we reach adulthood, most of us are bearing some of the scars of rejection. Since feeling rejected is a pain we find unbearable, we a lot of times protect ourselves. Are you afraid of being hurt? She says. Are you a people pleaser? Are you scared people will leave you if you don't keep them happy? Do you look for flaws in relationships so that you can reject them before they reject you? Do you avoid emotional intimacy with anybody? Are you insecure? Are you hypersensitive to criticism? If you answer yes to one or more of these, you have rejection issues. And there is a reason rejection hurts so much. Studies have shown that the brain reacts the same way to rejection as it does to physical pain. That's why we get so stuck in a rut. Recently, someone told me she feels like a stray cat that no one wants to let in. And the animal reference reminded me of a story called the bummer lamb. And sometimes when a ewe gives birth to a lamb, she rejects it. She won't allow it to nurse or to accept, be accepted in any way. The rejected lambs are called bummer lambs. The rejection not only puts them on the path of starvation, but it also breaks their spirit. Another article that I I believe she was from Scotland wrote, in that particular article, she was saying that a lot of times these lambs won't lift their heads because they're so sorrowful of being rejected. Shepherds are on the lookout for these types of lambs. A good shepherd will find the bummer lamb, place it close to his heart so he can hear its heartbeat, and then take it home, and he bottle feeds it, and he keeps it warm, and Throughout the days ahead, the shepherd will continue to carry the lamb close to his heart. He knows it needs nurturing or it will die of the broken spirit. And as the lamb rests near its heart, it learns to to listen only to its voice, his voice. It learns to trust him. And by the time it's ready to be released back into the flock, there's an incredible amount of viability with that little lamb. And it no longer feels rejected. It feels kind of special. It holds its head up high, and it has a singled out by the, by the shepherd. So when the shepherd yelled, Sheep! The bummer lambs seem to be the first ones to come running. The author says, I am a bummer lamb. I know the stings of being rejected by an alcoholic father who would not get sober and didn't care about his family. I have had betrayals and friendships and the pain of unrequited love, but, but now know the love of God and, I love of, and the love of the Good Shepherd. And the Bible says that Jesus will leave the 99 to pursue, 
to pursue one little lamb. That's what he did for me, this little bummer lamb. When I finally stopped running, he picked me up and carried me close to his heart. And he rejoiced when he carried me home. I can't tell you that I fully recovered from my scars and rejection, but I certainly feel special in the eyes of God. And I hold my head high. And I feel loved in an extraordinary way by the Good Shepherd. And for me, that trumps rejection of others. And I know there are a lot of bummer lambs out there. She goes on to talk about her profession and her practice. It's full of them. And what is tragic, though, is how many Christians won't allow the Good Shepherd to hold them close to his heart. They just want enough of him to get to heaven, but don't want to get too close to be nurtured and to be made whole. Without the tending of the Good Shepherd, they are suffering from broken spirits, and that is why the world is full of so many wounded Christians. It's because they feel like a bummer lamb. Is this you? And if it's you, I pray you will allow his love, the love of God, to be that salve to your rejection issues. You are precious to him. He longs to gather you close to his heart so he can learn of your heartbeat and you can hear his voice and have the comfort of his heartbeat. And then the rejection of the rest of the flock won't seem such a big deal when he receives you. And when the good shepherd yells, sheep, sheep, guess he'll be the one leading the pack to draw close to him. Is there a bummer lamb here this morning? Is there someone that felt rejected because of the way you were brought up or because of the way you've been treated? Your only help is Jesus. Your only help is Bethlehem bread. And the Bethlehem is free. It's for anyone at any time who tastes and see that the Lord is good. You've been searching for peace and you've been searching for something for so many years and you've been pushing Jesus away. And I don't know why. Even for the Christian, we sometimes think of Jesus as just my Savior and not the King Shepherd of your soul. That's not all I see in the passage. I see Jesus is mentioned as the Prince of Peace, verse number 5. In verse number 5, it says, And this man shall be the peace. This, the man is in italics, but this Savior, this person that's going to be born in Bethlehem is going to be the peace, the peace that people long for. Think about the shepherd king, and why do we need one? I'll tell you why we need one. is because we are completely helpless without him. <laughs> the love of God to us like a shepherd, the simplicity that is in Jesus is as simple as a shepherd taking care of his sheep, but then there is this man, this eternal one who feeds us. He is majestic. He is our peace. The Bible says he is in many places, and I think it's important for us to remember that he is the one and the only one that gives us peace. 
I want you to turn, if you would, to your Bibles to the New Testament this morning in closing. And look at Luke chapter 7 again with me and remember that there was this woman who could not even hold up her head because of shame and because of her feelings. It says in verse number 36 that one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. But the Bible goes on to say then that this woman, and behold, a woman in the city which was a what? Can I share with you that Christmas is all about Christ, but it is all about Him coming to save sinners. You say, but I feel rejected. I've got sin. Will you qualify then? You qualify to to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So this woman did. She comes to his feet. It says, and when she sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster box and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the oil. Why was she doing all of that? Because of her love? And she knew who Jesus was. Oh, how the Holy Spirit began to press upon her heart at that time. Jesus is your only hope, lady. And she came to the feet of Jesus. She poured her heart out to him tears upon tear, and washed the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ with her tears. It's incredible. But it's interesting because at the end of the story, Jesus says that your sins are forgiven. And if you look at verse number 47, it says, And wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, talk to the Pharisees, which are many, are forgiven. And she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. I think it's important for us to know that verse 50 is absolutely essential. Let me just share this with you. Look at verse number 50. And he said to the woman, thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. It wasn't her religion. It was her faith in the Messiah that saved her. Our only hope. Our only hope is Jesus Christ. I think it's important for us to remember these stories and help us to understand that when it comes to this truth of the Lord Jesus, that it's a time to sing about it. I love the songs this morning we sang, but let me just read one of them to you. It says, Hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn King. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph in the skies. And with the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Jesus is our Bethlehem bread. And Jesus Christ will save you. He'll save you today if you call upon him. And it's so simple. It's called the gospel. Do you believe that Jesus Christ came? If you say yes. Do you believe that Jesus Christ did the miracles he did? Maybe you would say yes. Do you believe that they hated Jesus? This world crucified him. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe the religious leaders were the ones that led the pack? Then you would probably say yes. And he was brutally beaten. He was rejected. And do you believe that he died and rose the third day? Do you believe this? And if you do, you can be saved. Take that thought and that understanding and that faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and admit to God that you are a sinner. You may be a good moral person. You may not be running around on Friday nights. You may not be drinking and carousing. You may not. You may even listen to opera music all the time. I don't know. You're still a sinner in need of a Savior. And maybe there's someone here that feels so rejected that you can't even rest at night. Jesus is waiting for you to come to him. Come, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden, and then I'll give you the rest. You know what the Lord is waiting for? He's waiting for obedience. And I want to share this with you. I should have closed a long time ago, but listen to this. So many times we're seeking things when God has already revealed everything to you. And it's so simple that all you need to do is say, yes, Lord, yes. Have your will and have your way. I'll say, yes, Lord, yes. I'll trust you and obey. And when your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, I'll agree. My answer is just, yes, Lord, yes. That's how simple it is. But we're looking for maybe if I would get a little bit more education or Maybe if I find out exactly what my spiritual gift is and then I'll do something for God when God is saying, I've already given you the opportunity. How come you haven't gone through the door? And someday he may close that door. Go to him today. He's pressing upon your heart. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of full surrender. And say, here I am. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Where are you, dear friend? How are you doing spiritually? How about your heart? Is it right with God? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you say, Pastor Howell, I truly have never been born again. I'm religious or I'm, I'm a good person, but I've never been redeemed. And maybe today you would say, Pastor, that's me. I'm ready for Jesus to come into my life today. No more games. No more excuses. I have nothing to offer him. All I am is just broken, and I need him. Maybe that's you this morning, but why don't you come? This altar's open for you. Maybe you are a Christian and you know you are saved, but you're not where you're supposed to be spiritually. In fact, you've been dealing with things for a long, long time. Where is the help ever going to come from? It's already there. It's been revealed to you. You just need to come. And maybe it's an old-fashioned altar at a little small Baptist church where the Spirit of God, you seem so insignificant, and so does Grace Baptist, perhaps, but God wants to change you and work in you if you just come. Dear Christian, the altar's open for you. Maybe it's for church membership. 
or maybe it's baptism, there's that opportunity again. He's already revealed it to you. If you need to come, you come this morning. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you stand to your feet, no one looking around this morning? Won't you step out? Others have through the years. There are tear stains on these stairs up here. If you need to come, you come. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would guide in the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.